Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 Do you have a plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, Power Partners. Welcome to the Informational Playground. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We're coming to you, to a live, to you live, yes, live, under the auspices of Be The Star You Are charity from the Voice America Network, and we're on the Empowerment Channel, and we're hoping to uh, seed, stimulate, and support space for positive, meaningful conversations. We have a very fascinating show for you today. Coming up in segment one, we're going to be talking about how you can, first of all, keep cool this summer when it is just so blistering hot out there, as well as I were going into the garden for some uprooting and some transplanting advice. Then in segment two, we'll discuss college GEs and what it means to you and your kids and, you know, how tough that can be. But the interesting part of our show is coming up in segment three when we interview Dr. Eric Mazel, who's going to help us overcome difficult family relationships with his book, Overcoming Your Difficult Family, Eight Skills for Thriving in Any Family Situation. So we want you to sit back, relax, grab your cup of tea, and join our conversation so that you'll be having some more interesting things to talk about over dinner tonight. So the miracle moment for today is brought to you from Be The Star You Are. For more information or to make a donation, visit bethestarur.org. And this is from Anwar Sadat. You're not a realist unless you believe in miracles. I really like that because I'm a huge believer in magic and miracles and everything that can make this uh, a more exciting and better place. But, you know, I like the idea of, of uh, not being a realist unless you believe in miracles. So think about that. Well, let's talk just a little bit about summer and how it really can affect us. Because in the heat of summer, a power outage can be more than an inconvenience. It can be really downright dangerous, especially if you don't have a game plan to keep cool and minimize the risks. I'm thinking of uh, Matt and all our, our good Voice America friends in Arizona who have been enduring these 120, 125 degree temperatures. And it's cool today at 108 or 110. So we really do have to have a, a little bit of, uh, of some backup plan, right? 
So this list of tips can help you create that game plan. It can help you stay safe and maintain your sanity above all. And you want to know if the power goes out, you know, you're not going to be able to fire up your computer for help. If you have a laptop, you might have battery power for a short amount of time. But if there's no power, you're not going to have Internet unless you're on satellite. So, you know, you're not going to be able to find out what to do. So here, let's give you a few tips. Drink plenty of fluids, even if you don't feel thirsty. You want to avoid alcohol and caffeine because they actually cause dehydration. Now, if you feel overheated, you feel dizzy, you feel weak, go to the coolest part of your home, wipe yourself down with a cool, wet cloth, and seek medical help if you don't improve quickly because you really don't want to be overheating. It's very, it can be very dangerous, and especially if you're dehydrated. Minimize your physical activity as much as possible, and if you must be outside, make sure you have on sunscreen, wear protective items such as a wide-brimmed hat, and don't forget about your animals. We talked about animals uh, in the past weeks, but they need plenty of water too, and they need shade, especially if um, they are outdoors, so make sure that they have a cool area to get to. Now, cool showers, or better yet, if you have a pool and you're lucky enough to have one, a dip in the pool is really a good thing to do. It's not just uh, to make you feel good in the moment, but what happens is when you get out of the pool or you even get out of a cool shower, the water on your skin will evaporate and it cools you down even more. You can apply cold water or ice cubes directly on your wrists. And that really has a really nice cooling effect. You can wear loose-fitting, light-colored cotton clothing or even wet your shirt, you know, those those wet T-shirts, right? Uh, add a damp bandana, uh, bandana or a scarf around your neck. Just dip it in water or dip it in some ice and put it around your neck. And then when the sun is hot out, um, keep the windows and blinds closed. And then at night, if it's safe, if you live in a safe area, open as many windows as you possibly can to create a cross breeze with that cooler air. If you have a fan, make sure to go ahead and turn on that fan. That will help as well. Open your freezer and your refrigerator as little as possible. I mean, its I know it's something that a lot of people do when you're really hot. It's so tempting to open that freezer or that refrigerator and stand there. But what that actually does is accelerate the spoilage of the perishable food. It takes about 24 hours for a freezer. It could be as long as 48 if you have a really, really cold freezer. But it's only four hours for the fridge. So every time you open it, you're actually letting in the warm air. And then unplug your electronics and appliances. It's not going to keep you cool. But you really don't want to surge to fry your computer when the power comes back on. So if you have that power outage, you know, unplug all those electronics and appliances that you could uh, fry up. And finally, one of your best strategies for getting through a summer power outage is... um, to read a book that you've been meaning to read to or, uh, you know, write a letter. You can actually write a letter to a friend. And most of all, just try to relax because the power does come back on along with your normal hectic life. So don't freak out, but just, you know, take a deep breath, chill, and uh, do your best to keep cool. And hopefully the water will continue running. I know there's always going to be inconveniences that happen. 
Yesterday, my husband turned on our faucet in our kitchen, and of course, water everywhere. We had no idea what was what was going on, but the water was coming out under the sink. Called the plumber today. Ended up having to install a whole new, you know, faucet and stuff system. But what's so interesting is how dependent we are on our simple conveniences of flipping on a light switch and having lights come on or turning on a faucet and water. And even though I had put a towel over the sink and something over the faucet and with a sign that said, do not touch, because if you touched it, the water went everywhere. It was just so hard. You know, it's habit. We go over there to turn it on. It's really interesting how our modern conveniences are convenient as long as they're working. And as soon as they're not, we learn to appreciate them more. So appreciate all that you have. So we want to talk about being uprooted and transplanted because as Ogmandino said, what you plant now, you're going to harvest later. And it is that time of the year. Kids are excitedly looking towards the play-filled days of summer. Parents are kind of wondering how they're going to juggle all of their kids' activities, you know, the swim meets, the fairs, the camps, the baseball tournaments, the concerts, you know, the, the drama classes, and sometimes even a move. During the summer, people are uprooted and transplanted to another location. Sometimes that disruption is across town. Sometimes it's across the country. And sometimes it's across the globe. And it's challenging and often a shock to our systems getting settled, making friends, and building a new garden. It's the same thing with plants and trees and shrubs. When they are moved, they also go through an instance of distress. And it doesn't matter if they're just moving from one part of the garden to another or they're moving across the continent to a new home. As directors of our landscapes, we have a responsibility to give the transplants a good foundation for their new environment. Spring, early summer, and late fall are traditionally the optimal times for the transition. So follow these suggestions for a successful uprooting and transplanting experience. When we transplant seedlings, trees, shrubs, or other plants, they go into shock. So to diminish the negative effects of being moved, these easy steps are going to provide strength and adjustment to the new environment. You can prevent shock effectively by gently uprooting. Dig up as many of the roots as possible. Don't shake the dirt off. Refrain from cutting the roots unless a plant has been root bound. And in that case, you do have to cut the roots. To strengthen the plant, cut it back about one third and make sure to remove any flowers, dead leaves or dying limbs. Now, this is going to help the plant regenerate more quickly without exerting extra energy. Now, don't ever prune or you're going to worsen the effects of shock. Provide clean, nutrient-rich soil for the transplants. Buy bags of topsoil or potting soil, depending on where you are transplanting. Now, before transplanting, what a really good, this is a great tip. Boil like eight cups of water with eight tablespoons of sugar. You can stir and allow it to cool to room temperature. And before putting the roots in the new soil, Pour two cups of the liquid on the transplant. Save two cups for each plant after the transplant. This recipe is good for two plants, and then you can increase the recipe to make as much as needed. So then dig a large enough hole for the transplant as a major cause of shock is placing a plant in too small of a hole and then not providing enough water. After planting in your new location or container, 
pour the remaining two cups of sugar water on the plant. And then water the transplant thoroughly. It helps the roots settle into the new soil. You want to monitor the water on a regular basis because proper watering is essential for rapid recovery. You don't want too much water, but you definitely don't want it to wilt, shrivel, scorch, roll, curl, or yellow leaves. Those are all indicators of shock, and it might be that they don't have enough water. So as an immune system booster for transplants is... um, to treat it with aspirin water. You can smash two or three aspirin in a gallon of water and then trickle that water on your plants, and that's going to increase the plant health. Now, even if you've used the sugar water, try the aspirin water as well. And then finally, you want to add two to three to four, I think three to four is better, um, organic mulch around the plants, and it's going to reduce the symptoms. You Mulch will insulate the plant. It maintains a constant temperature, and it de- de- um, prevents any kind of erosion. Then continue to water deeply, yet be very diligent not to drown the roots. You want to give the plants time to recover and settle into their new home. You have to have patience because it really is shocking to be uprooted. And a couple of mid-month uh, gardening tips for you. It, all of your plants, especially ones that are in your pots, they need to be deep watered. So, you know, water deeply and perhaps less frequently. Now, for pots, you may have to water, depending on where you live, every day if you're in a really hot uh, temperature zone. Or you might be able to get away with every other day. But pots are going to need more water. And as summer gets, you know, even hotter, our gardens are going to be thirstier. So by watering deeply, what you're doing is you're encouraging strong roots. If you want to use a hose and a sprinkler, you could buy a water timer that could be attached to a hose bib. The cost is only like $23 to $30. It's going to save you time, money, and waste on water. You can grow roses on your patio or your decking containers where you have plenty of sunlight. You want to use a high-quality soil, and, um, and you also would probably want to do a tree rose of your choosing because that way it'll grow straight and go up as opposed to growing out, out and it won't be grabbing out at people. And you'll get plenty of blooms and beauty all season long. Another thing I really like is to cover a mailbox with a climbing rose. It can really increase your curb appeal. Snip the tips off of mint and you'll enjoy multiple refreshing uses, including salads, you know, mojitos, or you could make those wonderfully famous uh, mint juleps that the southerners enjoy so much. Spread the seeds of love in a mist after they're finished blooming. The seed pods, which look like kind of little tiny uh, Chinese lanterns, can be crushed between your hand and then shaken in areas where you'd like to have more flowers next year. Privacy screens as well as wind screens are all the rage in neighborhoods. You know, if wind is bothering your trees, I just did a consultation for um, a new client the other day where the wind is so strong in their garden that it is hindering their orchard from bearing any fruit and it's just drying out the soil Nothing is blooming. It's just, it's been like 10 years and the trees are just minuscule. So you may want to put up a privacy or a wind screen. screen. And one of those are 
privets. Privets are a really great uh, shrub that can be pruned, and you can prune them like in, you know, rounded or squared or pruned into a hedge, or you can just let them grow straight up for a quick green fence. And um, what happens when you do that is they'll grow to 20, maybe 25 feet, and that is really, really um a great windbreaker and they also have flowers and they attract the bees and the butterflies so think about privets as a privacy or a windscreen finally you know you want to give the gift of a living plant to anybody that was graduating or birthdays babies that kind of thing with care a plant is a constant reminder of your ongoing love and your caring you want to watch for mosquito larvae in the bird baths and other still water. Empty your water from all containers or add animal-safe dunks. You can get those at your uh, local hardware store. Uh, win $50,000 for your garden. I'm a um, judge in America's Best Gardeners Contest. I wish I could enter because I'd enter my garden. But the top prize is 50000 and you might as well enter a photo. It's free to enter, and if you win, wow, that's so cool. AmericasBestGardener.com, AmericasBestGardener.com. Now, some of the things that you can harvest that are ripe and ready right now are mulberries, cherries, wild plums, nectarines, kale, mints, Plucots are ready right now, too, and those are very, very good. So enjoy some of these wonderful fruits of the season and enjoy your summer. It's summer fun. It's fun in the sun. It is here. So uh, congratulations to everyone who has graduated and is moving on to the next step. Happy gardening and happy growing. And when we come back from break, we're going to talk about what happens after graduation and then you're in college. I'm talking about high school graduation and those general education requirements. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Be the star you are. The star you are. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Summer disappears so quickly that we all need to pack in as much vacation time as possible. While trips to faraway places are great, our bodies and souls can use fun breaks far more often than we can pack a suitcase. Consider taking a six-minute vacation every day this summer. Begin by making a list of the little things you enjoy doing, like eating an ice cream cone, picking wildflowers, listening to your favorite song, reading your favorite book, or looking at vacation photos from years ago. Or you can just close your eyes and imagine those turquoise waters of Bora Bora. Then take the list that you're thinking in your head, schedule another six-minute vacation on your calendar for every day that's left of summer. You just might find these six minutes every day are your favorite part of summer. Remember, you're the star of your own performance turn your passions into profits i'm cynthia bryan with another business bite from star style for more information visit cynthiabryan.com that's cynthiabryan.com or you can call 925-377-STAR be the star you are the star 
The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. bethestarur.org. Dare to care. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out. Well, it is summer, and I'm so glad that you're staying with us. It is a, it's just a really fun time of the year, I think, for everybody. Most, most people look forward to it. And, of course, most people have now graduated. Graduating seniors are um, figuring out their next step. Most of them already know which college they're going to attend. Or if you're just a junior and you're considering which college to apply for, you have to look very carefully at the college's general education requirements. These are courses that everyone, regardless of their major, must take in order to complete their degree. And they usually represent one quarter to one third of the total credits required. That's quite a few credits. So you want to make sure that there are GEs that you want to take. Now, some of the GE requirements will uh, be courses that you want, but others aren't going to capture your interest at all. And Many schools, or at many schools, the GE classes will consist of a semester or two. Usually you'll have English composition. It might be called expository writing. You might have a writing seminar. You might have courses in the humanities, fine arts, performing arts, a social science, a history course, a foreign language, mathematics, and science. If that sounds familiar, it's, yeah, it's a lot like high school, but it's just at the college level. Now, sometimes there's going to be a community service requirement or maybe even a life fitness requirement, and sometimes the courses are pass-fail. So if you are looking at a Jesuit or other religiously affiliated college, you're likely going to see requirements in subjects such as philosophy or religion, although they may have titles like meditative arts or faith in modern society. Colleges have GE requirements because their leadership and their faculty want to see their students engage in a broader-based liberal arts education. Now, whether the students see value in that or not, that kind of depends on the students, right? However, the more required GE courses a student must take in addition to required classes for their major, the fewer the electives there are, and that can present a problem. 
So designing your class schedule also becomes more challenging, especially in the early grade levels. If you have a choice between a school that has very few GEs and one that asks you to take 12 credits in subjects of little interest to you or courses where you have considerable difficulty or maybe you really didn't even like them in high school, the choice of your college could affect the time it can take to earn your degree as well as your college GPA. So keep that really in mind, especially for juniors who are looking at colleges. It's so important to look at the GE requirements, what they are, how many they are, and if they are things that either are interesting to you or that you're good at. If there, if there are a lot of GEs that you're going to have trouble with, you may want to put that college on the maybe list. Now, different schools address the general education requirements differently. Some, like Amherst, Brown, Hampshire, Smith, they have few or no GE requirements. You might have only one or two required courses. And then you have free reign to choose whatever classes you want, as long as you complete the prerequisites. Now, there's an upside to that. The upside is you have the freedom to choose as long as you have some idea what you might like to study. The downside of it is you're navigating your college education without the structure that the GE requirements can provide. And some students are more successful at this than others. I think it really depends on your level of um, having to be reined in and having to have structure. If you're really good at determining your own destination and what you want, but I would definitely go for a college that has less GE requirements. Now, can you place out of the introductory courses? Some colleges will grant course credits based on a four or five on an advanced placement test. Others will ask students to sit for their own examinations. And some schools may give credit for the intro course but they may ask students to take an advanced course in the same subject instead. Now, how much variety is there to choose from in each subject area? For example, do you need to take calculus to fulfill the math requirement? You know, it's interesting when I even think about that. In high school, taking calculus, uh, that was one of the courses that I took in you know, you took Algebra 1 and Algebra 2, and you took Geometry, and then you took Calculus. And I, I didn't like Geometry, but I loved Algebra 1, and I loved Algebra 2, and I loved Calculus. But I think about it today because I'm not a mathematician, and what do I use these for? I, I definitely have to use my calculator for more, you know, for most things. So, so many of the different math classes that I took, I didn't feel were very necessary for my life skills. So if you are somebody who's going to be glad to leave math behind, you know, leave it behind in high school, some schools offer courses that are less quantitative. For example, the environmental and scientific issues behind an oil spill. Now, can you apply a course used to fulfill a GE requirement towards a major or a minor? Some schools will let you double dip courses, um, and that is towards fulfilling requirements as well as completing a major or a minor. The required calculus course could be used to fill the calculus requirement, for example, for pre-med. So that would be a good thing. So what 
you need to do is students should ask these often uh, kind of pesky GE requirement questions and learn how to work them to their advantage. And as in all phases of the college admission process, realistic self-appraisal combined with really good research are factors that are important to success. And with that being said, I think that the real key to um, any successful college education and taking the courses is to get the, the college handbook well in advance of the different colleges that you are looking at and look at all the different courses they take and uh, that they offer, I mean, and see which ones resonate with you and what interests you. Because sometimes some of the most exciting courses are not courses that are going to fulfill your general education. They'll probably be electives. And hopefully, they'll be things that are uh, of great interest to you, not just now, but for the future. So it really is important that you look at it. The second thing that I think is very important when we are looking at college education is if you only are lacking, you know, a few credits here or there, and, and you feel like, you know, you might have taken a course that didn't give you the credits that you needed, but was close enough or something, you know, you can always apply um, and ask. You can go into the counselors, you can go into the education uh, office and see if your advisor will help you to get your courses credited to you. Uh, and that can happen with languages. I know in some uh, some uh, institutions, if you take sign language, it's considered a foreign language and it satisfies the requirements. At other schools, it does not. Some schools will require two years. Other schools will just require a couple of semesters. So very important to see what the requirements are at the schools that you are interested in. So think about that and then move with it. Now, I'm going to uh, move to something just a little different before we go to our next segment of uh, recycling and recycling smart. Because I was reading an article that was put out by the, um, the Solid Waste Authority for recycling, and I found it so fascinating. It was, how long does something last until it disappears? So... If you toss an apple core and a metal can in your yard, which is going to disappear first? The core, of course, right? But you toss them into a landfill, and guess what? Which one disappears first? The can. And I was really surprised by that. I figured for sure the apple core, you know, being it's an apple, would disappear first, just as it does when I throw it into my backyard. But here's why in the landfill it's different. Metal oxidizes, it forms rust, and then microorganisms break the can down into simple molecules, although it's going to take hundreds of years to to disappear in a landfill. But things that biodegrade, like that apple core or tree trimmings or food waste and paper, they biodegrade really, really slowly in landfills because there's an artificial landfill environment which doesn't have any air, water, or bacterial activity that's needed for the decaying process. That's because a landfill is designed to isolate trash from the surrounding environment, which is, you know, the air, the groundwater, that might be used for drinking or irrigation, and rain that might run off into the streets. And unless these conditions 
um, are, you know, are underway, trash is not going to decompose. So a landfill is not like a compost pile where organic waste is buried so it'll decompose quickly. So the, what happens then is, um, is that the apple core is going to take a very long time. I found this study very interesting. There was a garbage project at the University of Arizona, and it was through a waste study. Students dug up the landfill, and they found hot dogs, corn cobs, and grapes that were 25 years old and still recognizable. Then they found newspapers dating back to 1952, and they were still readable. But what about plastic? You know, because plastic photodegrades, it degrades under ultraviolet radiation. And so what happened um, with that? Because it's degrading under the sun. But there's no light in the landfill. So when will it degrade? So guess what? The estimate for plastic to degrade was anywhere from 200 years, 400 years, or even a million years to decompose in a landfill. So that's a scientific way of saying a very, 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 very long time. So instead of of recycling and composting, we have to make sure that we put them in the right bins, right? Because um, it takes one twentieth of the energy to recycle aluminum products as it does to smelt aluminum from scratch. So this is something that uh, I think you'll really find fascinating. When is waste going to disappear in a landfill? A plastic jug in a landfill is going to take over one million years. Foam cups, you know, those trays or foam cups like that you would get, you know, when you want hot coffee or something, 500 years. A glass bottle, 1 million years. That's, wow, 1 million years. A plastic drinking bottle, 450 years. How about diapers? We have those supposedly biodegradable, you know, throwaway diapers. 450 years. When you put them in the trash, that's how long they take. Metal foil, 400 years. Now, leaves and yard waste, when you put it in your green bin, it is only going to take months. Now, of course, it could be never, but usually it just takes a few months. So composting would be You could put natural rope, you could put fruit, vegetable scraps, leaves, yard waste, eggshells, coffee grinds, those kinds of things, even pizza boxes, and those can degrade in usually a few, you know, a few months. But a plastic bag in the recycle, it's going to take a thousand years. Fishing line in the recycle or in the garbage can, at least 600 years. How about one of those six-pack plastic holders that get down in the sea and they're saying that they're causing so many fish, you know, to get entangled in them and die. A hundred years for those to biodegrade. And um, a juice box, the simple juice box is 200 years. So as you can see, it's nothing is overnight and nothing is really fast. doesn't matter whether it's in the landfill, in the garbage, 
compost is always going to be the fastest. So we have to be very, very uh, careful about what we are going to recycle and when. So we're going to be going to a break now. And when we come back, we will have Dr. Eric Mazel on with us, who is a family therapist, and he is the author of this new book, Overcoming Your Difficult Family, Eight Skills for Thriving in Any Family Situation. You're going to find it fascinating to know what uh, is going to happen in your family when you have some tools in your toolbox. I'm Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. I'll be back in a bit. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are the- Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show It's really difficult to think that to a human has written more than 50 books. But our next guest is Dr. Eric Mazel, who is a retired family therapist. He is a current life coach. He is the author of more than 50 books. And his newest one is absolutely fascinating and so helpful. It's called Overcoming Your Difficult Family, Eight Skills for Thriving in Any Family Situation. Dr. Mazel is with us now. Hello, Eric, and thank you so much for joining us on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Hi, Cynthia. It's great to be with you. Thank you for calling me a human. <laughs> yes. You are, right? <laughs> yeah, I I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pinch myself and make sure, but I think so, yes. I think so, I think so. Yes, I, I don't think that, um, that apes or crocodiles or anything have written books yet, but <laughs> I was just, you know, I'm really just very impressed at how many 
how do you, many books you've written, and you know they're all just um, very amazing and they're very very helpful. So knowing that you've written so many different books, what was your impetus to start writing Overcoming Your Difficult Family? Probably a lot of different reasons, but the the main reason has to do with the way so many folks, especially kids, are receiving mental health diagnoses of one kind or another. For kids, it would be ADHD or ODD, oppositional defiant disorder. Or So there's an epidemic of labeling of human beings with these mental disorders. And it struck me that we've forgotten about context, forgotten about circumstances, and forgotten the simple idea that a person in distress may be in distress not because he or she has some, quote, individual pathology, but because the stresses of circumstances, including the stresses of the family, are causing all of that distress. Somehow we've lost that idea. The proof that we've lost the idea is that psychiatrists nowadays spend an average of 15 minutes with a new client, a new patient. What can go on in 15 minutes? Only a certain kind of transaction where I say I'm depressed, you agree that I'm depressed, and you start writing a prescription. Mm-hmm. There can't be any real investigation of my family life or my work life or my circumstances or what's really bothering me. So that's why I wanted to remind us that family life causes lots of distress, and then there are things we can do about it. Well, I was very um, happy that you wrote this book because of what you just said about the labeling. It seems that anybody you talk to who has children today, they they discuss this. They'll say, oh, yes, my child has you know, HD, they are, they, they're always saying things like this, or there's depression, or I'm on, um, you know, I had to put my kid on Ritalin, or whatever it was, it just seems that prescriptions are being written for everything, and everybody has some kind of diagnosis, when in fact, it really just could be something that is just as simple as I'm sad, as you say in your book, or, you know, I'm just right, or not, I'm being, I'm being, I'm being bullied at school, I'm being I'm bullied, not, happy at work or I'm not happy in my relationships or all the everyday distresses that uh, don't seem to count in the current pseudo-medical paradigm of imagining that something's wrong with the plumbing. It's not really a plumbing problem and often does not call for a chemical solution. It calls for a life solution. Mm Mm-hmm. And how much stronger and better a life solution is. Well, you provide in your book, Overcoming Difficult Family, Eight Skills for Thriving in Any Family Situation, your toolbox. It's eight skills, qualities, attributes, whatever it is you want to call them. It's smarts, strength, calmness, clarity, awareness, courage, presence, and resilience. And then, you know, after you talk about these skills and you, you give you give uh, stories, you give a situation of perhaps a client that, uh, that you've had and how, how it has transferred into her life or his life. And then at the end, you have a ceremony, an activity that has a particular purpose, a particular ritual, so that you can really feel that this skill that you are using is actually coming into your life. And I really like the way you presented that. So why don't we start with some of these skills? So smarts, what do we need to have smarts? Smarts can mean lots of different things, but it's basically being um, clear on what's going on, being aware of what's going on in your family, 
And then problem solving. Um, I had a client who was disturbed by the fact that her husband was upset with her success as a writer. And it's funny that a mate would be upset with someone bringing in lots of money, but nevertheless, he was. And she understood that this was a problem that was not going to be easy to solve, maybe without um, separation or divorce, but that's not what was in, that's not what she wanted to have happen in that moment. So the thing she did, which, she, which struck her as smart, was to not try to write at home anymore with him wandering around, but go out into a cafe and write and just reduce his ability to pester her or act in passive-aggressive ways. The action of leaving the house and going to a cafe was a smart thing for her to do. These are the kinds of things that human beings can do in families, understand what's going on, notice what's going on, and have the courage to notice what's going on, and then pick a strategy to try, try it out, and see if it, even if it doesn't solve the problem, if it helps with the problem. Well, and you, for your ceremony in that particular chapter, you take, uh, it's called Taking Time to Reflect. And I found this to be very useful because we have to remind ourselves that we are savvy and clever and sharp and all of that. And that we, having a small ceremony or celebrating that we did one smart thing kind of gives us that courage to move on to the next step or if we need the Yeah, next and these are all, you know, these these skills are, of course, all interrelated. I don't expect any real person to try to learn eight skills or really acquire the whole toolbox. But if you do any one of them, mm-hmm. that helps. And they are intertwined. It's hard to be smart if you're also feeling anxious. Therefore, you need calmness to reduce the anxiety. One of the things that people, I think, don't understand well enough is how difficult it is to just tolerate a thought that makes them uncomfortable. Like for this, for this client, it was just tolerating, why would my husband be this passive-aggressive person and not just enjoy my success? It's hard to tolerate that thought. And so that's why, I don't know if I have it in this book or elsewhere, but I have one ceremony of just... Tolerating a difficult thought for 10 seconds, just practicing that, not doing anything with the thought, not rushing to problem solving, but just seeing if you can sit with some difficult thought and accept its reality. You know, one of the things after reading your book that I wanted to ask you is because you're located in the San Francisco Bay Area, but if someone was looking for a family therapist, who have the same belief systems as you did, that there's really not something wrong with you. You're not disturbed. You're not clinically depressed. You don't need medication. But, you know, you probably just need some life situation changes, that there's something going on at work or at home or in relationships that's causing this distress. How would they find someone who espouses the same kinds of um information and expertise that you share in your books? Is there a particular well, thing you know, that they word, would look for? Word of mouth is, of course, still the always best. the best. And that's not so easy to get necessarily because it, family therapists are relatively uh, few and far between. And most family therapists by license are allowed to work with individuals as well as families. And it's much easier to get an individual to come in than a whole family. So many family therapists are actually not practicing family therapy. They're working with individuals. 
I think the thing to do would be to do an internet search using your geographical location as, as the clue or the key, and then to see if the person that you're reading about sees whole families, really enjoys seeing families, and doesn't to consider that, the, that one person is an identified patient in that family, but rather that there's some family system going on. So by trying to discern in the um, family therapist write-up where he or she is coming from, I think that would be the place to start to make sure that that's a person who, who enjoys and has experience in having whole families in a room. It's very difficult. You can imagine all the dynamics and all the refereeing that needs to go on if you're a family therapist and you're bringing in the whole family. So you really want someone, I think you want someone who's had uh, quite a bit of experience and can um, handle a whole family um, in the room. And I so agree with you is that it's rarely an individual. It's just like it's, you know, the saying, it takes two to tango. A family dynamic is complicated and so much is based on past experiences and other, you know, parents. And now there's there's so many, you know, intermarriages with families that extended families, et cetera. So it's it's challenging for especially it's, for it's, young people or yeah, for anyone. It, it's challenging, and, and there's an extra piece to the puzzle, and that is the idea of original personality, namely who we are when, when we come into the world, sort of our endowments, our proclivities. That's not taken into account in psychology at all, but anybody who's had kittens or puppies or kids knows that creatures come into the world already themselves. So everybody in the family started out already somebody, a little sadder than the next person, a little more anxious than the next person, already somebody with all kinds of endowments that are not going to go away through family therapy or medication or anything. This, these, are, these are people with real personalities, with real agendas, uh, harboring resentments over time and all of that. So I think the idea of original personality is kind of interesting and important because it, it helps underline the idea that everybody in the family is already somebody. I I like that a lot because it's you are so true. I mean, I look at my own family upbringing. I was very fortunate to have just fabulous parents who loved each other and loved us. And and there were five children, and every one of us were so different. And even as you know, as grown adults now, we're very different people. And we all, in fact, people probably wouldn't even know that we were family, except for we all get along great. But, you know, we just, we have different ways of doing things. So identifying the fact that we're individuals with our own gifts and skills and strengths and idiosyncrasies, and, and that's a really that's good right, starting our own challenges. point. That's right. Yes. Because if we were born into the world a little bit sadder or a little bit more anxious than the next person, that does not amount to a mental disorder. That just amounts to a personality style that we're going to be challenged by, you know, our whole life long. Let's talk about bullying. You have a, a great chapter about bullying, aggressive, and abusive families. And unfortunately, there are many uh, people who are the victims of this. And some, you know, many times it's the children, but sometimes it's spouses. And how how can we stay clear? How can we get an ally? What are uh, just a couple of kind of 
tips that you give if you're in one of these families? Sure. Well, the first tip, it's obvious and yet it still has to be said, and that is don't ignore it. Don't act like you somehow deserve to be bullied or that Mm -hmm. it isn't happening. This is where the the skills of awareness and, and presence and clarity are important because you want to be aware. You want to be aware that it's happening. Jung had the idea of uh, a blind spot, and often we're blind. We have blind spots around the things that are going on around us that are crystal clear to everyone else. So first is, don't ignore it. The second is, as you said, try to find an ally. And if close family members are not willing to be that ally, then you may have to look a little further afield, maybe to distant, maybe to an aunt or to a cousin or to somebody outside the family unit maybe engage in peer counseling or something like that where you can have your experience validated. We all know that one of the most important things in life is to not feel like we're somehow crazy in what's going on, but that what's going on We have to feel appreciated real. and valued. Everybody craves that. That's right. And then I think another key is to discern if the bullying is somehow situational That is, if the person who's bullying us is maybe worse at a given moment than better at a given moment, and if if it's if we understand that, if we see that the person is worse at a given moment, that's the time to be away from home or to be safely in our room or just to be careful. That's another place of smartness is to try to understand maybe when the bullying is happening and if it happens only at particular times to to know that and to deal with that. You have 12 tips for emotional and mental health and getting back to being human. That's the number one is that we have to accept ourselves as humans. And that means that we're going to have sadness, anxiety, uh, things are not going to just be black and white, things are going to be challenging at times, but we can, we can uh, do something that will help you ourselves by understanding that we're all humans in training. That's right. And then there's the combination of, of being yourself, accepting your human nature, but also invent, inventing yourself. I have this vision of a notion I call available personality. That is our remaining freedom to become the person we want to be. And that kind of an amount. I think it fluctuates over time. If you're caught in an addiction, you have less available personality. If you enter recovery, you have more available personality. But I think this notion helps us understand who we are, that we're, we're kind of stuck in cement. We have this formed personality, but we also have enough available personality to be able to invent ourselves and make ourselves proud. You know, this is what we mean by be the star you are, is be the person you were born to be or become the person that you want to be. <laughs> and I do think that we all have that opportunity and kind of that ability, but but it does take strength and, and it takes many of the qualities that you uh, outline in your book. For those of you just joining us, we're speaking with Dr. Eric Mazel. He is the author of Overcoming Your Difficult Family, Eight Skills for Thriving in Any Family Situation. And I just want to give his website out right now, so in case you want to check it out, ericmazel.com, and that's spelled M-A-I-S-E-L, his last name, because you'll find a lot of information on there. Love and be loved. You know, that's something else I think we all, getting back to being listened to and appreciated and all that, it's something that is that as humans, we are 
a, um, a group of individuals that we need to have love. So we can't withhold love, but we have to give love in order to be loved. Yeah, I think love is, a, is an activity. Yeah, and I think more families are, are loveless and cool or cold than people realize. You know, often parents come into the room getting ready to criticize the kids rather than getting ready to love the kids. That's mm-hmm. human nature, too. Love may be human nature, but not loving looks to be human nature also. So I think we need a lot more love in families, and that's an activity. It's just, it's a, the way I hold it in my own mind is it's a softening. I think people are very hard-edged through the days, you know, at work, but still when they come home, too, they come through the door and they don't soften. They're still hard-edged. And it's hard to do any loving from that hard-edged place. I always think that we need to be more like dogs and puppies so that when your family comes to the door, you're like, <laughs> I'm so happy exactly. to see you. You know, it would be, it's a wag wiggle and and welcome. Well, Dr. Mazel, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I know you're going to be on our Express Yourself Teen Show next Tuesday at noon, so listeners can listen to that show on Express Yourself Teen Radio on the Voice America Kids Network. Please go to ericmazel.com. Pick up a copy of Overcoming Your Difficult Family, Eight Skills for Thriving in Any Family Situation. And I think you should keep this on your bookshelf so that when you are presented with a challenge as we have every day, you're going to have the skills and the toolkit to overcome and be empowered. Thank you, Dr. Maisel, for joining me here on Star Style. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, thank you for being great listeners and allowing us into your life each week. Make sure you're tuned here to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Visit bethestaryouare.org for more information. And until we celebrate next week, go out into the world and make it a wonderful, wonderful uh, dream, create, inspire, make a difference week. This is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you to be the star you are. Be the star you are, the star you are, be the star you are, you are the star. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.